You're listening to Tech Versus Media with Richard Walpert. On today's episode of Tech Versus Media, we'll be speaking with Crystal Rose Pierce, named by Forbes one of the top women in blockchain, which means blockchain, crypto, tokens, NFTs. We're going to hear about her gallery in Puerto Rico, which is the largest physical digital art gallery in the country right now and how she came about being the chairperson of this year's Mrs. World pageant on today's episode of Tech Versus Media. The following program is brought to you in living color. We have a big show for you tonight. But there's one more little thing. Today, Apple is... You've got mail. You know that sound means it's time for another episode of Tech Versus Media. I'm Richard Walpert, your host. I've been on both sides of technology and media for the last 37 years now. And today we're going to speak with Crystal Rose Pierce, named by Forbes, one of the top women in blockchain, co-CEO of Make Sense Labs, as well as her art gallery in Puerto Rico, which sells NFTs. I think you will learn a lot today, especially about crypto tokens and everything blockchain. Crystal, thank you for joining us today. I know you're busy between Puerto Rico and Vermont and all of the work you do in blockchain and crypto. Uh, we're going to start with something I call Rapid Fire 10. So first one is, is it true that you're referred to as the first lady of crypto? True. This is true. And and I hope I continue to live out uh, my purpose as the first lady of crypto. What is your favorite state or territory in the United States? Puerto Rico is my absolute favorite territory. And uh, if I get to pick two because it's not officially a state, Vermont is my favorite state. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Other than the Sense token for the company that you're a co-founder and CEO of, right now, what is the token you're following the most that you think is ascendant? Bitcoin. Small dogs or really big fucking dogs? My dogs both weigh more than I do. Okay. <laughs> NFTs, a hot now thing in 2022 or hot long term? Long NFTs, absolutely. Is it true you started coding at the age of 11? It is true. And my first coding language was HTML. So outside of the U.S., what are the top three countries that you think get it in terms of the importance of, do of adopting cryptocurrencies? El Salvador is number one because El Salvador was the first to create legal tender in a, in a cryptocurrency. You know, I want to say America because I do believe that given that we have 97% of all of the stable coins backed by the U.S. dollar, we're, we're leading the charge in some capacity. But that's because we have really intelligent entrepreneurial citizens and not necessarily something the government did. So I want to give credit to the, the people. Yes, and then lastly, it's an open question mark ready to be filled by the next administration who's ready to jump in and either create their own CBDC or bring on Bitcoin as legal tender. Is it true you once gave your husband a Brockbot for Facebook Messenger as a gift? Brock.ai. Yeah, that's a, that was the original best birthday gift that you can give in the, in the digital world way before NFTs. Crystal, if you could have dinner with any three people living or not, what three people would you pick? Well, first, I love to have really big dinner parties that just keep on growing. So hopefully I'd pick three people and they would pick three people and it would be exponential. 
Satoshi Nakamoto could count as one or many. We are unsure, but if there was ever the ability, so that might fill up all three seats right there. Two, I'm really fascinated with the first ladies of the past. They're just really incredible badasses. So if I picked one of them, maybe Eleanor Roosevelt or Jackie O. Oh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg also. Is it true you started the most advanced combination of an art gallery slash NFT in the country called Lighthouse in Puerto Rico? It is true. This is the first ground up fully digital autonomous gallery. Uh, the easiest way to describe it is a smart gallery, emphasis on the word art, and with the goal of launching them as beacons everywhere. So here in Vermont, I'm right now looking at Burlington and Every place is going to have one of these soon, which is partly why I'm very long on NFTs. And let's use that as a as a jumping off point for the for the discussion, Crystal. So, you know, a lot of people who listen to this podcast know about NFTs. Probably more, there are people that don't know about NFTs. They don't fully understand it. They hear about these crazy things. Tell me if this is true or not. But I heard that last week Eminem bought a yacht board ape for three hundred thousand dollars. Did you see that story? That sounds like a low price. Was it only $300,000? That's what I heard. I did. That's what I heard. Maybe it's rumor, but, and those were, how much were they when they came out? Like hundreds of dollars? Sure. I'm I'm sure even less. And, and that's a amazing, amazing thing. But, you know, it's, there are speculative NFTs. And the biggest question I get as an art gallery owner, an NFT art gallery owner is, what makes an NFT good art? And, and it, art is so subjective. I don't know that the board apes are necessarily about art. They're about the speculation, just like any other cryptocurrency that we're purchasing that we're waiting to watch the charts go up. For our listeners who don't really understand what an NFT is, and I think I've I've gotten there between all the reading I do and people I talk to like you and some TED Talks I've watched. But how would you in one or two minutes explain to somebody who doesn't really know much, but assume they're smart, what an NFT is and why it's so important? Well, first, we have to go with the technical term because it's worth knowing at least what the acronym is uh, so that you don't get confused for the future. But an NFT is a non-fungible token, which... That is the worst name, and I am rallying for us to change the name to a Nifty. Yeah. Uh, I love I love Nifty. I think it's great, um, but just like a JPEG might never happen, you know, or a GIF or JIF, however you want to say it. But an NFT is just, it, it's a unit of value in the simplest possible form that we can break it down. And so if you, if you think about what is a fungible token, that's something like currency where you can easily exchange with a normalized value. Uh, one unit for one unit of something else. For instance, you know, $1 exchanges for some amount of Bitcoin and it fluctuates, but it's agreed upon. An NFT is different because the value is agreed upon by only two parties. It's like a sports card for a Pokemon card. The best analogy that we have today is something that is scarce and of value to certain people that is subjective. So it, art is the best use case for NFTs because art needs to have provenance. You need to have a authenticated signer or an owner, originator. And art is subjective. It's something where we have to all mutually agree upon the value. And do you think part of the reason art is a good sort of connection point for NFTs is because people have 
long collected art and understood the value of art going up over time and with scarcity, do you think that makes it a good initial focus for NFTs? Is that why, partly why you're so focused on art and NFTs? It's partly that, and it's partly the question of what actually makes art valuable. Like, if you really break it down in the end, why is the Mona Lisa valuable? Or why is a Warhol painting valuable? You know, was it the the canvas itself or the paint itself? And with Warhol, you know, he hired a team of people to make his paintings. Eventually, he got so big. And and so the, the real value of the painting is actually the signature. And if you think about an NFT as a digital signature, that's what you're buying. You're not you're not actually buying the pixels unless it depends on what the collection is. But there are some NFTs where the uh, the pixels or the design is created based on the actual hash. So whatever is created, let's say your Ethereum key, and it's going to be a bunch of letters and numbers that are just long, that is going to determine what it looks like. The original one was CryptoKitties. You know, pink fur would be one letter and a unicorn horn would be one number. And, and that would determine the image. And so in that case, it's a computerized image, which makes it super unique. But in the case of these, you know, works of art that are traditional pieces of art or even digital pieces that are, are essentially movie files or, or static image files, regular files, none of those pixels are the NFT. The NFT is just the signature and the authentication of the item itself, which means that NFTs could be Anything. They could be wine, which has provenance, anything that has a supply chain, anything that has a chain of command or had an original owner. And and I think that's the most incredible piece because we're going to watch as NFTs move from art into music, likely next very quickly, because music is also unique. Yeah, I think we're already seeing it with music. Uh, there's a company I'm actually an investor in, Shameless Plug, called After Party. And they're completely focused on music and access to the musician and access to events by buying their NFTs. Yeah, that's a great name. And 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 also it's about the artists um, getting value for their work. So if you're if you're a musician and you get a royalty and you are reliant on future royalties and you have participated in one piece of the music, today we have the ability now for every single musician, everyone who is a participant to take some percentage automatically, programmatically, and have a royalty perpetually. And that happens with art as well. So if I sell a piece of art in our gallery, the artist could potentially get another revenue on the next sale. So if the the new owner wants to sell it again, they automatically get a revenue in their wallet. So it's inside of the smart contract. It's a programmatic royalty forever. And and this is the first time, I think, in all of history that creative people, the artists and musicians of the world, are getting more value for their creations while they're living than when they're dead. Interesting. So I want to just talk about your your gallery a little bit more. So with NFTs, I think of it as two ways, right? Uh, it's oversimplifying it, I'm sure. But so I see NFTs for digital goods, like a digital painting that you that lives in only, call it the metaverse, if we're in the metaverse right now, in a sense, right? Recording this podcast. And then I see it for physical things, like a physical piece of art. In your gallery, do you do both? Somebody can buy an NFT that's a digital art and a physical art. Do you think they're equally as interesting or one more than the other? Yes, we do. We do both. In fact, we also do music. So we have turntables and the DJs that are performing during our events um, sell their NFTs, as well as some of them have video 
We even have a projection mapped wall, uh, which has beautiful animations that have been custom created for the gallery. And you can buy the wall. You can literally buy everything that's on the wall. Some pieces do come with the physical counterpart. So the bridge between traditional art and this new medium of digital art, you see a lot of artists are digitizing works that they had previously done and creating something special with it, like an animation. And then the the physical piece will be unlockable content. So, you know, if you see on OpenSea is really good for this. If you see the, you know, that says this has unlockable content, you might be able to put in your address and get them to send you something. And I've seen artists doing pieces of the original works, like a stencil if they're a graffiti artist. So you're getting a piece of the creator. And I think that is another really unique part about why people care so deeply about NFTs. It's not even about the piece anymore. It's about being part of the community and having a direct connection with the artist and really being integrated into the the creative process. Yep, it's that direct connection. And I think that's why it's working so well for music and art. So I'm going to give you a metaphor or a simile. I don't, I don't know my words, right? It's one of those two and have you react to it. So one of the things I've learned in tech is consumers adoption usually happens much slower than the technological revolution, as I call it, like things get invented and then it takes some amount of time, sometimes a year, sometimes a decade for consumers to broadly adopt it. And the example I'll give you is when I was at Real Networks in 2003, I thought streaming music was a service. This is pre-iPod, right? I'm old. And we bought this company, Rhapsody, which was the first music company that had art music from all the five labels. At the time, there were five and now there's three. And I'd go to sell it to people for $9.99 a month. And I would say, look, you get access to any song you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. And this is in the day where people were collecting like their one, two, 300 CDs and putting them in crappy Ikea cases. And I would explain that and they would look at me kind of confused and say, but do I own it? And I would say, well, what does ownership mean? This is in 2003, right? Not related to NFTs at all, but what does ownership mean? Because the example I gave was like with Abbey Road, I bought the album and thought I owned it. Then I bought the cassette and I thought I owned it. I bought the CD and I thought I owned it. So I kept having to buy it. But the promise of streaming service was you'll never have to buy it again. You just pay your monthly fee and you get everything you want. And in 2003, Chris, people just looked at me like I had two heads. And then in 2010, 11, when Daniel came out with Spotify, the world had kind of gotten to the point where that question of do I own it or not didn't matter for music. It was about access. Are you seeing a similar thing with NFTs? There's a certain sort of early adopter audience that gets it, but maybe people over 45 don't yet, or they're confused and it's going to take a while? Or do you think this adoption is going to be broad and fast? It really depends on what industry picks it up. And I've been watching as some fashion brands are coming online. Brock and I will be going to Fashion Week soon in New York. And we are watching very rapidly as handbags and designer jackets have RFID tags put inside of them that relate to uh, today it's to, you know, a license, but soon it will be to a license on the blockchain, which will be an NFT. And I think it just is a matter for consumers of whether or not they're choosing to adopt it by downloading a wallet and going through the process and going to one of these sort of mega malls, I call them, of NFTs like Rarible or OpenSea, where there's just, it's it's more NFTs than you can imagine. My friend has a first grade child who is doing NFTs now because uh, he's taking the art and scanning it and putting it up on OpenSea and selling it. And today, I think it's very saturated in terms of uh, just like YouTube creators realizing how easy it is to create something and upload it. 
but we will sift it out and find that it's going to have the same and it already does have the same uh, likeness to traditional art so if you're if you're an art collector you're already probably getting an nft that is a counterpart to your art you have a damien hurst you're already looking at his works and and a lot of it is what we were talking about it's access some of it comes with a pass to his next collection or events and and special sort of vip treatment so it really just depends on where people are in the consumer process if you're familiar with buying high-end sneakers you're going to have soon the RFID tag in there that's going to relate to an NFT. And and probably the brands will just give you the ability to download it for free at the beginning. It just comes along with it. You have to get the wallet. One of my handbags already, if I drop my phone in there, the tag alerts my phone that it's in a designer bag and then it gives the license if you click on the website. So they're they're definitely moving forward very quickly. And I think sometimes people are not even really aware that they're experiencing it. And you mentioned wallets. One of the things that I think is a hurdle right now is, at least from what I'm seeing, it looks like ETH, Ethereum is used mostly to buy NFTs. Is is that correct? Oh, we have the worst chicken and egg problem on the planet right now. That That is correct and unfortunate because the gas fees are so tremendously high. And, you know, if for anyone who's not familiar with gas fees, it's just the transaction fee on the network. Bitcoin is the original like godfather, grandfather, whatever of the of the cryptocurrency world. And the way that it's mined in order to incentivize this decentralized network to process your transaction, every transaction gives a little bit back to the miners. And the miners constantly work to solve cryptographic puzzles, which is why it's called cryptocurrency. I'm sure all of the cryptographers of the past are not super happy about this because crypto, the original crypto is cryptography, but they solve these puzzles and then there is a winner like a lottery and somebody gets the tokens. In Ethereum, Ethereum tried to improve on this process because it is energy intensive. And so Ethereum changed the, the method by which they mine. But what happens is there's a limited amount of resources on the network, a limited amount of computers that can do the transaction processing. And so in order to prioritize your transaction on the network, if it's congested, let's say that there's just a flood of people buying NFTs that day, which does happen quite a bit because there's a, you know, a big sale, you have to pay gas. Essentially, the gas is like to accelerate your transaction. And so if you want it to settle within a a minute or 10 minutes or an hour, you pay more than if you want it to settle in a day or three days. And, and a, you know, a three-day settlement is a traditional bank, by the way. Let's not forget that T plus three is our traditional banking system. The world is kind of familiar with that settlement time. But today, in a digital world, we expect instant settlement. And in our banking, we are still not actually creating instant settlement. They're just doing it. They're, they're doing it on the back end. They, they let you update the numbers in your database. They let you update what's on your credit card. They let you update what's in your bank account. But actually, that's not truly happening. So for a for a network to truly process that quickly, you have to you have to fund it. And so um as an example, I just bought an NFT for $250 of Ethereum and I paid 100 $108 of gas. $108 is how much it cost me to spend $250 because I wanted it to settle instantly because it was an auction and I needed to get that NFT. It was very important. So you paid a 60 I'm doing the math in my head, 60, 70% tax. Yeah, basically an amount that is so unsustainable that Ethereum will never be able to be used by the developing world or any anyone that is trying to use it as currency. At this point, just Ethereum's out as a cryptocurrency. But 
it's super challenging because if you talk to all of the artists and then you talk to all of the, the collectors, they both say the same thing. The artists say, well, I still mint my NFTs on Ethereum, even though it's expensive because that's where the collectors are. And then the collectors say, well, I just buy my NFTs with Ethereum because that's where all the artists are selling them in. So, you know, if I have one wish for our industry, it's that soon somebody on one of the side buyers or sellers takes that leap into an alternative currency. And we are seeing them. We have Polygon as one of the primary alternative, almost fee-less currencies. We have a lot of others that are coming up like Casper. So, you know, to that question of what tokens am I looking at? I'm looking at all of the ones that are alternatives to Ethereum that allow smart contracts and that are doing an excellent job with creating NFT marketplaces. And and like Wax is another one. I think Wax does more NFT transactions than anyone. But you have to take the leap and you have to just get right across that bridge from Ethereum into another territory of currency. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Crystal on the alternative coins that she thinks are hot now. She believes they can not only compete with Ethereum, but replace it. And anybody who invested in Ethereum three, four or five years ago has made a fortune. So you want to stay tuned. You want to hear Crystal's picks when we come right back. I often say on my show, I'm having discussions with the people that you know and the people that you should know. The same can be true of a law firm. One law firm you should know about, an LA-based law firm, is Stubbs Alderton Markleys. I've known Scott Alderton for almost 20 years, and I've used his firm for not only my personal work, but for HelloTech and other companies that I've been involved with. They specialize in technology and media, the topics that we discuss in the show. If you're looking for a law firm that will pay attention to you at a reasonable price, please reach out to Stubbs Alderton. You can send Scott an email. It's salderton at stubbsalderton.com. And if you need help spelling that email address, just go to the show notes for today's episode. There'll be a direct link you can click on to email Scott. I highly recommend Stubbs Alderton Markley's. Solar from Kurtco Media. NASC located the Athon two days ago. However, we have not established contact. What was that? I do not detect any abnormalities. The lights are getting brighter. Is the electricity overloading? Everything is nominal. What are the odds of survival for the Aethon crew? We won't speculate on those circumstances. I'm sure you can understand. Solar, a fully immersive sonic adventure with revolutionary sound from Dolby Atmos. Incoming message from Jamal. Accept, accept. Rich, it's coming into the airlock. Get away from the Starring Academy Award winner Helen Hunt. If we deviate from the plan even by an hour, we lose everything. Tony Award winner Alan Cumming. I'm simply not willing to risk the lives of any crew members for the sake of an experiment. Stephanie Beatrice. I'm going to save you, Jamal. And Jonathan Bangs. One problem at a time, friend. Solar. Shadows are darker this close to the sun. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. So Ethereum has a high tax. You talked about a couple of others that you said were on the horizon. You mentioned Casper. You mentioned Polygon. Two questions, Crystal. One is, what are the two or three that you think have the best shot at not just replacing Ethereum, but at least becoming an also sort of common standard? Will there be 25 tokens in one wallet? Or will people want, if you look at history, right? People might want a dozen or less tokens. Like there's all these tokens out there, but I question, will, will somebody want 
40 different tokens or 100 different tokens or if every single website has their own NFT and their own token and their own this. So so what are the three that you think are most interesting and ascendant, not Ethereum? And then what do you think of the concept of consumers at some point getting fatigued with the number of tokens they have? Well, let's look at the different types of chains. So Polygon, I think, is a is a front runner in terms of the Ethereum counterpart only because it is the most adopted on the mega marketplaces. OpenSea is setting a standard. These guys are doing incredibly well. I think they have a $30 billion valuation now. The founders are ecstatic. <laughs> and, yep. But there's a good reason, because if there was going to be a YouTube of NFTs, this is it. They make it extremely accessible. Anybody can create an NFT. If you haven't created an NFT and you are curious about it, go to OpenSea and try it. It's one of the easiest ones to do. You just have to have a wallet loaded with Ethereum or some other token. And, and actually, I think they let you use a credit card to buy. If you do that, the way to get Polygon is you have to do a transaction you know, a transfer. So basically you swap your token from Ethereum to Polygon one time, and that does cost a gas fee. But once you're in the other token, you don't have any additional gas fees. You're using the term gas fee as a tax term, basically. Yeah, right. So exactly. It's it's like a, it's like a bank fee. It's like a, or you know, it's a better, a better analogy is it's a transaction fee on your credit card. So it's the two to 3% that you pay but the difference is that the credit card networks are always consistent, whereas Ethereum changes. It has it has complete volatility based on the amount of volume of transactions they have that day. And, you know, this is a, a problem that can be solved in a decentralized network with more data centers, more miners coming online. But we can't really rely on that scalability. Ethereum has ETH 2.0 that has been on the horizon for a long time. And to jump to the second token that I think is is going to be another front runner is called Casper because Casper is the actual original code that was going to become ETH 2.0 forked out into a new company. And, and they have made huge strides ahead of Ethereum because they were more nimble. They had an amazing tech team and they started to do global enterprise deals. Um, so if you look at other big alternative currencies like Stellar, Ripple, I would say Solana, but be careful. Solana had that hack. Sure. So, so I asked you, what are some of the the tokens that you think could be a better, you know, less gas tax, as you call it, than Ethereum? You talked about Polygon. You talked about Casper and some others. What do you think about consumers' appetite, though, for the number of tokens that they want to have? Do you think I'm just old and don't get it, and it's just a wallet, and it doesn't matter if there's fifty, or do you think it's going to centralize around five or ten? It really is dependent upon the token's ability to easily be swapped into something usable and familiar. So if if every token has a, a USD or Bitcoin or whatever your preferred fiat currency, you know, trading pair with it inside of your wallet, I'm sure that people will be fine. Or if they can swap to each other. So we have a lot of great tools for this. Shapeshift is one of the original ones where you can easily swap one one token for another. Uniswap is the Ethereum version of this. So, you know, there are thousands, thousands of tokens that are built upon Ethereum and, and they continue to grow. So so often what you'll find is that if you're using some sub token, you still pay Ethereum's gas prices anyways. And so if you're on a network like Uniswap, you can still swap them in and out. But you have the issue of 
still having that fee. So if we jump over to one other one, which I think is going to come up soon and is going to be something that people pay attention to. Sure. Proton is the other fee-free network that is using a completely different type of mining, which I think is the next evolution of how networks are produced. It's block production, not not mining. It's a different uh, it's a different incentive structure for the people who are running the network. And so Proton, you know, the challenge with that is that it's based on a larger a larger network called EOS, and it has nothing to do with Ethereum. And so getting in and out of that, you have to have a trading pair. Sure, you're going to have to have Ethereum to EOS because because you need it's called layer one chains. You need the the chains that are at the base layer, sort of like the you know, the foundation or the infrastructure, and then all the other ones that you use are like the little houses built on top of it. And I think as long as we have wallets that have really beautiful interfaces and allow us to organize our tokens in a nice way, I don't see a problem with having a lot of them. It's just like NFTs. A lot of people have a wallet with many tokens and many NFTs. Right. And they don't have anywhere else to store them. And and actually, that's where and part of the reason I started the Lighthouse Gallery, I wanted to be able to give life to your NFTs somehow. So, you know, the next evolution of this is that people are going to be buying digital displays. And as soon as they buy an NFT, they're going to load it up into their digital display. And I don't think they're going to pay attention to their wallet. I kind of think the the short answer is I don't think people will care so much because it's like asking how many pairs of shoes can you tolerate, you know, in your closet, as long as it's organized and you like all of them and, you know, you have a, you have a reason for having them and Eventually, you can trade them in, you know, I think an unlimited amount. Well, you clearly understand this stuff at a level beyond most, certainly at a level beyond me. So I appreciate you taking the time. But there's other things you do too, Crystal, that I want to touch on before we end. And one of my rapid fire 10 questions was, are you the first lady of crypto? And you laughed and said, yes. You've also been named by Forbes, one of the top 10 most influential people on blockchain, which is the underlying technology for everything we just talked about. And you've also talked about the importance of empowering women and giving women more of a voice and uh, space in finance and running companies. You are the CEO and co-founder of Sense Labs. It's current name, correct? Makes Sense Labs, yeah. Makes Sense Labs, which you and I met on probably, what, eight or 10 years ago? <laughs> wow, yeah. Has it been that long? It's been an evolution. Absolutely. Well, we we definitely have been building, and the the labs part of that is this iterative sort of process where we're all experiencing this incredible fourth industrial revolution through technology, and and that's the part I appreciate the most. So thanks for um for betting on my company and you know being with us along the journey. Of course, and just just for as a disclaimer, it was not a personal bet. It was I was part of the founding team at Amplify LA, and you were one of the earlier companies there, and I remember. Your dog's name is escaping me, but the massive dog that came in every day that you would drive in your convertible. Mojo. Mojo, exactly. But Crystal, among other things that you're doing to help women, I know, I think you're the chairperson of Miss World this year. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you're doing that and why it's so important? Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I never thought I would transcend from, from technology to the world of women and pageants. And uh, Miss World actually approached me because I run our foundation in Puerto Rico called the Integro Foundation. And I run two other foundations that deal with technology. They asked me to chair their nonprofit, which is called Beauty with a Purpose. And I've learned so much about this 70-year-old 
organization uh, that actually the women that are involved are all like ambassadors of their nations. And so this year, as the chair of Beauty with a Purpose, which has every single woman from each country do a nonprofit project in order to support her community, we are turning their projects into art and into NFTs. And so right now we already have 85 of the Miss Worlds from around the world who have submitted their projects. And they're really incredible and inspirational how these women are helping their communities. And we will be showing those at the the Lighthouse Gallery in Puerto Rico. So we are going to be giving them an, an NFT experience. So we're really bringing women into the world of tech through NFTs and through creativity. And, and it's interesting. I appreciate you bringing that up because I see how it's sort of a, to use my friend Rob Glazer's fancy word, a confluence of all the things that you do, right? It's blockchain related. It's NFT related. It's empowering women related. So you're pulling all the work that you do together into one and doing it in an event and putting a good spin on something that that people look at. And I assume it will be in Puerto Rico this year, partly why you're involved. Is that correct? That's right. And that's why they first started talking to us. And, you know, for the first time, I really opened my eyes to how every single industry, every single thing that we know ha- is changing through the lens of tech, through the lens of blockchain, and and now, especially if it's a creative or a media-related thing through NFTs. Great. That's great. And I appreciate that work that you've done. And I know there's a couple of other nonprofits that you're involved in that to focus on women and it's important and you're a great leader and a great role model, I think, for a lot of people, given all that you've done and all that you give back. Um, so Crystal, I know you're busy. I want to thank you again for joining today. This was extremely insightful. Hopefully our people and our listeners learned something. And you know, there's a lot of things you said that we went in depth on with NFTs, but I think it's an important topic right now. And I think a lot of people are confused. And I think you clearly have a, a mastery of it beyond pretty much anybody I've spoken to. But thank you again for making the time. I know I know you're out traveling a lot and I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And and this has been really fun. Love to chat. Thank you for having me on and thank you for having my husband Brock on as well. Having been in tech for 37 years, I try and stay up on everything I can, but Crystal has her finger on the pulse of the tokens and the coins and NFTs much more than I do. I learned a lot today. When we come back, my final thoughts. I'd have to say today's episode was probably one of the most educational and interesting for me. You wouldn't be surprised to know in a lot of the cases when I'm interviewing these people, I ask questions that I know the answers to, but I want you, the audience, to know the answers to as well. But in this case, speaking with Crystal, who is an expert on blockchain and crypto and NFTs, it was really a one-hour education for me, and I hope that transferred into a one-hour education for you. I particularly was taken with her description of NFTs in a way that made more sense to me than anybody else had ever explained it to me. And she started with, when you buy a piece of fine art, even an Andrew Warhol or a Magritte, what's really valuable is the signature. It's not the ink on the paper. It's not the canvas. It's the signature of proof that the artist created that work. And then one step away from that is digital art created by a digital artist who now signs it on the blockchain. And that was a very small leap for me to make to understand an NFT and its value. So I see it for art. And then she explained how it works for music. That one I understood a little bit better because of a company called After Party I'm in, where you know the music is from the artist and you may get certain rights. You may get access to special events. You may get access to a backstage pass. So 
Crystal explained NFTs in a way that really helped me understand them in a way that I hadn't before. I'm more bullish on them and crypto and the other coins that she mentioned than I have been. We also just finished, and I know this is timely, I'm not supposed to say it, Bitcoin 2022 conference here in Miami, which had 25,000 people. Everybody was a crypto fanatic. So I hope you learned a lot about today's episode. I did. I hope you stay tuned for next week's episode of Tech Versus Media. One of my favorite sayings is, show me you love me, don't tell me you love me. And what I mean by that is words are easy, but action is hard. And if you want to show true impact and intent, action is important. One of the firms I'm very proud to be associated with, a venture capital firm called A-Crew Capital, A-C-R-E-W Capital.com, was founded by five people, only one of which was a white male, which is extremely rare in the venture capital industry. They are extremely focused on backing female CEOs, people of color, transgender. They put their words into action. And if you're interested in working with a VC firm that's truly focused on diversity and shows it with their action, not just their words, I highly recommend A Crew Capital. Again, that's A-C-R-E-W Capital.com. Bullhorn brings to podcasting what color brought to television. It makes podcasting a rich, immersive experience. With Bullhorn, you don't just listen to shows, you interact with them. Bullhorn lets content creators share live videos, chat with the audience and take questions, post polls, take call-ins, share images, and more. If you want to experience what podcasting can be and should be, download the Bullhorn podcasting app today at bullhorn.fm. Stop listening start interacting. I want to thank a few people without whom today's episode would not have been possible. My producer, AJ Mosley, my chief of staff, Lily Ramadi, and Carolina, who helped make this recording possible from Puerto Rico. If you enjoyed today's episode, and especially if you learned something and you want to learn more, please rate, comment, and subscribe. I'm Richard Wolpert. I hope you listen next week. From Kirkco Media, media for your mind.